As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show Weekend Review! Liverpool staged a St. James's Park revolution, thanks in part to Darwin's evolution. If you want the theory behind Liverpool's winning streak, well, they should play with 10 men every week. Meanwhile, Spurs are looking very agile, Man United seem far too fragile, West Ham coasted on the coast and Haaland's penalty hit the post. Elsewhere, Harry Kane scored a brace, Pulisic remains a Rossoneri ace, Barcelona got the better of a seven-goal feast, and Leo Messi has started sending his team right up the east. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's been enjoying uh, famous pop stars singing songs about Big Ange uh, (laughs) from the back of trailers, Graham Ruthven. Explain that one, please, to listener. Hello, Ryan Bailey. I'm not sure that I can fully explain why Robbie Williams is now singing about Ange Postacoglu, but Big Ange has clearly captured the heart of Britain's biggest pop star of of the the 1990s and the early 2000s. Um, Yeah, he's got Ange ball fever, it seems, as well as everyone else in the country now. Maybe it was after Graham. Uh, Ange was interviewed in the studio for TNT, who's now the domestic, one of the domestic broadcasters of the Premier League in the UK. And he comes and sits down in the studio. It's like Peter Crouch and oh, I can't remember who else is there. Was it Joe Cole? Joe Someone Cole, else I is think, there. Yeah. Joe Cole, yeah. Um, he sits down and a guy comes on and like mics him up, runs a, a mic <laughs> under his shirt. And he's like, oh, oh, dinner and drinks first, mate. Easy, Tiger. Like, on, like, he got he got some good laughs out of that he's one. So, so that was a... he's so lovably Australian. Like every stereotype yeah. you've got about Australians, and they're and they're just general good crack and banter. That's Ange Postecoglou. Plus, it just so happens he's a good football manager, so he's got a lot going for him. Indeed. Joining us today, Graham, a man who's been getting work done on his car, he's getting some mods to the old Honda. It's Joe Lowry, colon, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> That's correct. I definitely didn't just like accidentally get a dent in the car and had to have that fixed earlier today. That didn't happen at all. I am definitely uh, a Tokyo Drifter through and through. Graham, you mentioned Ange Fever there. You sound unwell. Do you actually have Ange fever, or are you immune to that? Yeah, it's 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 a it's a genuine like illness, Ange fever. It's sweeping the UK right now, and yes, it seems that I have I have managed to pick that up, and listeners will be able to tell that 
in 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 my voice. I'm, yeah. I'm doing my best. See, see, Joe, I tried to big you up by disguising the fact that you dented your own car by saying you got some mods done, but you very slightly mentioned it yourself, but then swiftly changed the subject. So well done I, for that. I want to be I want to be honest to the people, right? I, I want I don't want them to uh, to have different ideas about me. I want to be honest to the people, but then I also was genuinely wondering about Graham's health and like how contagious Ange fever was. I would have thought, Graham, that you were already. <laughs> that you're already immune. Surely you've had it, you know, four different times yeah. by now. And I don't know. It doesn't. The, the science of it all doesn't quite make sense to me, Ryan. But I'm, I'm trying to cover our. Bases. See, yesterday when I learned that Joe was getting his car fixed, I had a lot of fun indulging this in this idea that you've already kind of floated, Ryan Bailey, that Joe is a secret drifter and that he drives around with like LEDs under the bottom of his car and suspension oh, yeah. that bounces up and down. That that was that was a fun vision for me. Please tell me, Joe, that it's true. It, it that part is true. So it's actually a different car than the one that was in that birthday free food video. So the the one that I think was sort of made famous. It is no longer a Honda, which I think was sort of the key thrust behind the initial Slack messages about me being the Tokyo Drifter. <laughs> it's a Toyota now, which which that probably still works. still works, but it's also <laughs> like it's like an SUV mom car rather than uh, more of a sedan kind of vehicle. So. There have been lots of changes. We're still mm. working on the LED lights, Scram, to get to, to that part of your, sure. your statement, but we're getting there. All I'm hearing is that you're so good at mods that you modded a Honda into a Toyota now. <laughs> yeah. I'm very impressed. How do you watch them on soccer when you spend all your evenings doing burnouts in parking lots? That's what I want to know, Joe, It's frankly. It's difficult, but I think Pablo Maurer can do it, so I think yeah. I can do it too. That's I think that's the thrust of it. Joe spent the weekend indulging his secret passion, and it seems like Taylor did that as well, because by the looks of his Instagram, which mm. I've just been looking through, um, he's been free-soloing El Capitan, which I wasn't aware that he, he could yeah. do that, but that seems to be what he's he's been up to over the weekend. That's right, Taylor. Been climbing some mountains, it seems. I just, just think of those calves, Graham. Like Jack Grealish now, surely, from the what he's been scaling. <laughs> he does have good calves, Taylor. That was one of my takeaways when we played fives, pick up soccer in New York. Taylor's got Jack does, Grealish yeah. calves. That's how he single bound leaps up El Capitan on the weekends, Graham. Indeed. All right. Well, the three of us here today, uh, patreon.com slash total soccer show. If you want bonus content, Graham and I speaking about transfers on the, on, on the feed coming up soon. Also, uh, I'm going to see a game at the Stamford bridge this week, which I should be doing a video from. Isn't that fun, Graham? Stamford bridge, you know, is that, uh, Wimbledon in the league cup, the league cup, the very same as I live and breathe. The best cup. Mm, we shall see. I'll, I'll, I'll reserve my judgment on that until after Wednesday. But we will uh, be uh, putting plenty of bonus content on our Patreon. In the meantime, why don't we get to reviewing that gosh darn weekend? I think where we should start, Joseph Lowry, is the Premier League, is Newcastle's uh, defeat at the hands of Liverpool. A 2-1 win for Liverpool here. A disastrous first half for Liverpool. Turned around in the final few minutes. Uh, uh, Anthony Gordon getting the opening goal after Trent Alexander-Arnold lets the ball under his foot. Uh, Virgil van Dijk with a red card on a last-man tackle. But then Darwin Nunes, a double finish from basically the same spot, Joe. Mentality monsters, (laughs) they strike again. It is hard to overstate how bad of a first half this was for Liverpool. Not because they weren't doing some good things in in open play and, and not because they never got to the final third or, or didn't create any chances, but it, it was sort of a comedy of errors. It's a Trent Alexander-Arnold mistake. He's not trying to do himself any favors in the discourse about him being a reliable right-back option for Liverpool, at least defensively or, or in those kinds of calamitous moments. It feels like TAA has a lot more of those than the average player. You have that moment and then Van Dijk's red card, as you mentioned, Ryan, and it really felt like Liverpool were going to be up against it. And they were, right? Dealing with this very quality Newcastle team, for most of the rest of the game, down a goal and with 10 players, 
it, it didn't necessarily feel to me like Liverpool were going to get back in this game. I didn't know if they were going to have the ability to, to claw their way back into this one. But Darwin Nunez did it for them, basically. He makes, as you said, two almost identical runs and two almost identical goals on the right, kind of right side of the field, right half space, just right of center. Gets him behind the back line, which is what he's best at doing, and puts the ball away. There are two lovely moments that reminded me how much more dangerous this Liverpool team can be at times with an actual kind of run in behind number nine, not a Diogo Jota type, not a Cody Gakpo type, but someone who really is going to, to try to drive the opposing back line backwards and really stretch the defense. I thought Nunes was great in this game. I hope we see more of him moving forward and not just because he actually put those chances away, but because of the types of chances and how Darwin Nunes actually impacts the opposing defense. Yeah, this could be a, a huge result for, for Liverpool, a huge moment for, for Darwin Nunes uh, potentially in this match, but a huge result for Liverpool as, as a whole. And I think you could see in their celebrations at the end of this match how much of a a release it was for them. Nobody is really sure what to expect from Liverpool this season. They've rebuilt their midfield. There's still a lot of moving parts and their performances in the early stages of the season have been inconsistent. And Liverpool were inconsistent in their performance over the 90 minutes of, of this match. They start off very, very poorly. I agree with Joe. Newcastle kind of all over Liverpool even before the the, the sending off. And at that point, when yeah. Liverpool go down to 10 men, I thought there was a chance that, that they could be blown away in this match but over over time Liverpool did stabilise and, and yes they rode their luck at times and Newcastle had opportunities to kill this game off um, but in the second half it, it felt like they really managed to unlock their own threat in transition Liverpool it swung quickly from in that first half I'm thinking Newcastle are kind of showing Liverpool that they're the new kids on the block to look to, to Liverpool and, 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 and they're showing them that a lot of the qualities that we associate with Liverpool high intensity that atmosphere at St. James's Park, the way that they can run through opposition defences, I thought Newcastle had that for large spells of this match. But then by full time, the narrative completely switches and this highlights how football is a little bit silly sometimes. But by full time, it felt like Liverpool showing Newcastle how far they've still to go to become a, a true elite level team. Well, on that, Joe, what should we make of Newcastle this season? Because going into the season... You know, we thought there might be the narrative that they push on from where they were last season, which is perfectly possible. They've outplayed and outnumbered Liverpool for a large portion of this game, as we've established. But this season, obviously, they've got the Champions League to consider. Are they actually a better team now from what we've seen than they were last season? I don't know, Ryan. And, and part of that's because I think Newcastle overperformed a bit last year. They certainly overperformed expectations this early on in the Saudi takeover, which has a whole slew of problems attached to it. But that is the reality for this team. And it will have a big impact, and we've already seen it on the sporting side. They were a little ahead of, ahead of schedule, and they played really good soccer last year. Defensively, they were, if not the best team in the league, one of the absolute best teams in the league. They were building up that attack under Eddie Howe last season. There's a lot to like, and I think they got stronger in the transfer window. You think about Tenali being added into this team in midfield. He played in this game. I thought was very good for large portions of this game. This is a good squad, right? What exactly they'll look like with extra games is is still a bit of an unknown, right? What I will say about this team, yes, they only have one win so far this year. They're technically 13th in the table after three games, which is not at all where they wanted to be. The schedule for Newcastle, though, has been absolutely brutal, right? They start off their year with a 5-1 win over Aston Villa, and then they get Man City away, and then they get Liverpool at home. Like, given what we've seen of this team... Given what we know of Man City, I think we can basically toss that game out as a team that's kind of in a tier of their own. And Newcastle weren't necessarily even terrible in that game. It was pretty tight. And then in this game against Liverpool, they're the better team for the majority of the match. So 
I still am, am pretty bullish on Newcastle's chances to finish in the Champions League spots yet again, and, and maybe not to better their season, but with extra games involved in their schedule, I, I still think they're going to have a really good year. Yeah, their, their squad, I think, is undeniably stronger now than it was at the end of the last season, just because of the players like Tenali and, and, and Lewis Hall and Harvey Barnes as well coming into, into that squad. I'm a big fan of, of Harvey Barnes. But one player in this match who technically isn't a new signing but feels a bit like a, a, a new signing and he was very good in this game was Anthony Gordon and this was probably the new haircut the, is that a new haircut I feel like Anthony Gordon has has had that haircut to his shame for for uh for a while now uh the blonde hair I thought it was longer before maybe I'm wrong potentially I'm wrong, potentially we haven't it feels like we haven't seen him a lot at Newcastle United since he joined in, in in January but this was probably the best performance I've seen from him since joining Newcastle he scores the opener he then plays the through ball from which Van Dyke gets ready carded that situation comes from 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 that moment he was very very quick to drive at Liverpool and and there was variety in his, in his play as well which was really impressive he was he was driving inside he was then going on the outside at moment moments he was linking up with little passes but also getting quick crosses into the box and it was very difficult for Liverpool to defend against him because it was an unpre- unpredictability in his play and and I, I spoke I can't remember if it was last week or two weeks ago, I spoke about Harvey Barnes uh, coming in and how I thought he he notably improves the Newcastle squad. I just wonder if Barnes coming in and competing for Anthony Gordon's position has kind of put a, a bit of a rock up, up, up him. And he ha- he was very good in this game. And I wonder if after a big summer for him as well, he was very good for the England, was it the Eng- England under-21s or U-20s? in the summer. I just wonder if he is, is also going to have a, a big season this year. Mm. That's interesting, actually, Graham. I was listening to a podcast with Zoran Cronetta, the Charlotte FC sporting director this week. He made the specific point that when you one of the benefits of bringing in a new signing is that it massively improves the game of the of the player who's already in their position. So it kind of rises the t- raises the tide a little bit, if that makes Yeah, sense. the one I always remember is... Um, Andre Shevchenko coming in and then Didier Drogba just reaching an entirely new level at Chelsea. Mm. Shevchenko signed to replace Drogba and that didn't really work out. So sometimes, you're right, sometimes it doesn't pan out the way that you think with a new player coming in, they will get a higher level out of players that they're meant to replace. And maybe that is the case with Anthony Gordon this season. Indeed. I don't think any of us had Newcastle in our top fours when we were predicting the season if I remember correctly but uh we'll see how they finish up but Joe back to Liverpool substitutes pretty crucial for this one weren't they the, the can we can we attribute uh, Jurgen Klopp's game management to the way this turns around presumably we can and should I, I think that's a big part of this right Klopp comes out after the game and there's comments about Darwin Nunes who's frustrated that he hasn't been starting right this guy wants to play he was Liverpool's big signing leading into last season he hasn't played this year Klopp brings him on at the right time. This game in general, even though Newcastle dominated a lot of the ball, I don't know if you guys noticed this. To me, it felt very track meaty, right? Like it felt very end-to-end. There was a lot of play that was going back and forth. Yes, Newcastle had the majority of possession, but this was a pretty open game for large stretches. And I think that fits Don Nunes. And so there's a good opportunity for Klopp to bring him off the bench in the latter stages of this match. And credit to Nunes for how he's responded to not having the role that he he would have anticipated coming into last season and the one that he would have hoped for coming into this season. I think he deserves credit. I think Klopp deserves credit in general for how he managed this game. I don't think this is one that Liverpool will want to repeat for reasons that, Ryan, you pretty much mentioned right off the top. Errors in possession with that sloppy back pass, which was a theme for multiple top Premier League teams this year, this past weekend, Arsenal kind of having a similar issue on the right side of their possession shape with Saka. 
kind of just playing the ball to nobody and, and Fulham coming down and scoring at the other end. Not a game that Liverpool will want to repeat, but in some ways it's the sign coming back in this match is a sign of a team that has such a high level of talent that their floor is so high that even when they're not at their best, even when they've made big game-changing kinds of mistakes, they have the ability to wrestle something, in this case three points, away from home back from another really good team. Yeah, I thought Darwin Nunes obviously was was very good off the bench, but similarly Jota and, and Harvey Elliott with um, coming off the bench in, in the second half, I just thought those two were very, very quick to get forward and, and, and join in the attacks, and they just injected more energy into the press. And then, as Joe outlined, you have Nunes as a, as a willing runner in behind. I, I love Darwin Nunes. I, when he's on fire, he's on fire. And as soon as, once he finishes off that first chance, as soon as it's played through for the second opportunity, I just know he's sticking that in the back of the net. That's the sort of player he is. He's, he's so streaky, is an agent of chaos. There is world-class quality in there. And, and we saw that in the impact that he made. One Liverpool player who certainly used to be world-class, and I think this match raises some questions about um, his longevity in this Liverpool team, is Virgil van Dijk, who obviously gets sent off in the, in, in the first half. His first red card as a Liverpool player in a Premier League match, which says a lot about how impressive he's been over a prolonged period of time for then. But I, I, I don't think this was an isolated case of him being vulnerable. And the same thing that made van Dijk so impressive for Liverpool a few years ago is now the, the same thing that is exposing him a bit now. So they, they play such a high-risk game that if you have a, a, a complete defender like Van Dijk used to be, he will have plenty of moments to look good. Um, now that Van Dijk is fading, fading a little bit physically as he gets older, those same moments are highlighting how he's not quite the same player now. So, for example, two seasons ago, I think Van Dijk gets to that ball ahead of Alexander Isak a split second earlier and wins it cleanly without coming through Isak. Now, I'm not writing him off or anything, but it is a consideration that Van Dijk isn't quite un as untouchable as, as he used to be. And I think the fact that him and Robertson in the back line are starting to fade a little bit shows how big a job Liverpool have over the next 12 to 18 months in, in kind of replenishing that team. Because obviously we've just come out of a summer transfer window where the focus was on the midfield. And I think generally they've done a good job of replenishing that midfield. Yeah. But all of a sudden you're looking at, oh, maybe Mohamed Salah needs replaced. Maybe Van Dijk needs replaced. Maybe Andy Robertson needs replaced. So Liverpool had the benefit of, of a team of a group of players who were at their peak at, 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 at the peak of their powers for a long, long time. And now they're getting the flip side of that where they're having to replace and replenish a lot of areas of that team in a, in a short space of, of, of time. And they've already started on the attack, right? You think about the, the recent additions that they made either, you know, just in prime players or players that are maybe just before their prime. Darwin Nunes falls into that category. Luis Diaz falls into that category. Cody Gakpo falls into that category. Sobosly as well, even though we've seen him play exclusively as an eight, kind of roaming in, in different parts of midfield this season. He's played as a striker. He's played as a winger for life's sake. He can do it all, basically. He fits into that category as well. And then you think about McAllister coming in to bolster the, the number eight position as well. But the back line, and now the base of midfield as well, it's old. Graham, you're absolutely right to point that out. Van Dyke is 32. Joel Matip is 32. That's the starting center back pairing for this team. Andy Robertson is 29. And Wataru Endo is 30. And I was watching Endo pretty closely in this game because it was his first match for Liverpool. He was the, the chosen option for this team. Chosen is in air quotes there because there were like four other players that Liverpool wanted before Endo. But he's the player they go out and sign to fill their number six need. He's, he's 30, right? And was anonymous in this game as well. Like, he didn't do a whole lot in this match. Doesn't play the whole game either. Not, not a game, really, that will tell us a ton about him because Liverpool go down a man and, and because of the flow of the game. 
and the fact that he doesn't play 90, like I said. So there, there are lots of different questions still around how Endo fits into this team. But yeah, the, the back part of this Liverpool squad is old, and that has and will continue to have a direct impact on how effective they are at doing the stuff that Jurgen Klopp wants to do. All right, well, an entertaining game at St. James's Park. Classic Premier League stuff, Graham. 90s opponents, these two were. It's good to see them. Well, they're, they're on a level for the first time yep. in many years, you could say. And also... Going at it, elbows, maybe a second yellow for Trent was uh, in the mixer there somewhere. Good stuff, isn't it? I love the needle in this match. I love Jason Tindall telling Klopp to be quiet with a finger to his <laughs> lips after Newcastle scored. I loved Alexander-Arnold celebrating winning a throw-in as Liverpool wound down the, the clock in stoppage time. I loved the late tackles. Gary Neville, Gary Neville excuse me, actually made a, a comparison during this match where he said there's an element of Simeone's Atleti about this Newcastle team. And I hadn't heard that comparison before, but I can, I can totally see that. Obviously, they're not quite as uh, pure in their poop-housery as Simeone's Atletico Madrid's are, but they do bring a certain physicality out of you if you're an, an, an opponent. And Liverpool did a good job of, of matching that in, in this match. But yeah, it was, it was a very entertaining 90 minutes as a neutral. Trippy has brought that Atleti DNA over. That's <laughs> what it is. We've, uh, we've figured it out. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go around the rest of the Premier League and the continent back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Why don't we go to the Emirates, where Arsenal were held to a 2-2 draw against Fulham. Uh, 10-man Fulham, Graham. By the way, loads of red cards already. I, I think I saw nine red cards in the Premier League already this season after three match days, which is uh, more than usual for that amount of games. Yeah, I think the Athletic had a piece about this, and they had a, a, a graph where they showed, I think it's like 0.3 red cards per match at the moment, and the average is something like 0.1. Obviously, the sample size is very small. We've only played three rounds of matches, but nonetheless, I think we in the Premier League, we've only we're only 21 red cards short of the tally for all of last season um i thought the red the the red card in this game was was a bit of a farce to be honest with calvin bassett he gets a booking so premier league referees have been told to clamp down on time wasting this season um trent alexander arnold gets a yellow card in the newcastle liverpool game for throwing the ball ball away despite the fact he is quite clearly fouled before he he does that and calvin bassett's first yellow card in this game is for not taking a goal kick quickly enough, despite the fact he's waiting for an Arsenal player to get out of the Fulham penalty area. And then he gets a, a yellow card for that. Can't complain much about 
The second booking, and you can argue it wasn't particularly clever from Calvin Bassey to commit that foul when he, when he's on a yellow card, but this was a, a bit of a chaotic match, um, which has, has actually been a trend for Arsenal in, in home matches against teams you would ordinarily expect them to sweep aside. This is something that dates back to uh, last season. They were behind after 58 seconds in this game with, with Arsenal caught badly out of their defensive shape and Saka's back pass leaving Aaron Ramsdale completely exposed. The, the, the fight back was a good one, but it, it was almost like once Arsenal got 2-1 up in this game, they exhaled and lost their concentration again and, and let Fulham back in. And Arsenal matches... I mentioned this last season, but they always seem to be very emotional events. Um, And I don't know if expending so much emotional energy so many times in the first half of the season will help you last the distance. And I guess I feel some sort of vindication that Arsenal did fall short last season. Um, But yeah, Arsenal also have some football-related questions to consider right now. I'm not sure whether forcing Kai Havertz into that midfield is 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 really working. You could argue that the lapse for the, the, the first Fulham goal comes from a failure from Thomas Partey to recognise where he should be in that defensive structure. Obviously, it's not a position that he plays very often right back. And I just don't know if Arsenal are getting enough out of Kai Havertz. Again, I'm not writing him off. It's only three games into the season. But I do wonder if you put Gabriel back into central defence, you get Ben White at right back again and you put Thomas Partey into t- central midfield. I do wonder if the muscle memory... C- kicks in for Arsenal and they snap into their form that we saw last season a bit more. I, I'm I'm loving the discussion about Arsenal so far this year because it feels like so many things are a continuation from last season, but they're tweaked maybe just slightly or, or flipped, mirrored almost. And we talked about that on a listener questions episode with the fullbacks last week. Graham, you mentioned putting Thomas Partey back into midfield. Is he not already doing that like like what can you draw the distinction for me a bit more and, and maybe clarify how that relates to Kai Havertz yes yeah, it's, it's a fair point because obviously Thomas Partey is pushing into that central midfield unit when he's playing it right back he's certainly not operating as an orthodox right back in, in, in defense but I just think Ben White has a more natural understanding of of where his position is in the defensive structure when when uh, when he when he needs to snap back into that whereas Thomas Partey I don't think has that awareness Ben White by trade is 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 a defender, and last season I thought yeah. really made that right back position his own. Even even Tomiyasu as well, I think has that has that awareness. So I can understand the theory of why Mikel Arteta wants to play Thomas Partey as a right back, so you can get that extra man into central midfield. But I think the reality and the instincts that he has as a, as a central midfielder don't don't quite match up with the theory at the moment. All right, uh, some drama at Manchester. Talk about Arsenal having emotional games. Man United putting yeah. their fans through the ringer at the moment. 3-2 uh, United beating Nottingham Forest at the weekend at Old Trafford. Um, another 10-man uh, team here. Nottingham Forest going down to 10 men as well in this one. United two goals down in four minutes for the first time ever in the Premier League. Uh, the first goal, Graham, on the break, and Forrest looking pretty devastating on the break, by the way. Uh, the technique from Anana for the uh, <laughs> attempted stop was... It was... Uh, care to you, explain it? Did you guys see the the meme that was basically Onana, like they superimposed a, an F1 car onto him? Did anybody... I figured you guys might have seen that because you're racing people. His body position is like such that he's laying down and could be driving some sort of a race car. If you haven't seen it, folks, look it up. That one got me. That one got me really, really good. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a, a a comical moment, shall we say? But I'm not sure I'm pinning blame on that goal on 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 uh, Andre Onana, and more Manchester United, who 
allow Nottingham Forest to break into an entire half of the pitch. And the three players that are chasing uh, Awanyi back in that moment are Mac- Marcus Rashford, uh, Anthony, and I can't remember who the third one is. It's another attacking player, though. It's three attackers. And you think to yourself, where where on earth is Manchester United's defence gone here? Um, those two early Forest goals did electrify the match. Though I watched this match back in full because I was really interested to see how Manchester United bounced back from that early setback. And um, the, the response in an attacking sense from my United was good. And given how insipid they have looked at times this season and in the final third, I think that is something to encourage. Ten Hag, obviously Mason Mount comes comes out of the team for this game, not through choice. He's he's injured for, I believe, four weeks, three or four weeks. But Christian Eriksen comes back into um, central midfield. And most uh, consequential, I thought, was Anthony Marshall coming in as the centre forward, which meant that Marcus Rashford plays on, on, on the left. And I didn't think Marshall was very good in this match, didn't offer a great deal, but I think it's worth having him on the pitch for how it shifts Rashford into his best position. He was a completely different player in this match. He consistently took on his man. He won the penalty for the winner. He has just looked a bit lost in the early stages of this season as a centre forward, but on the left... All the angles open up for him. He's got more space to burst into. I thought he was probably the... Him and Bruno Fernandes were probably the two best players on the pitch. Man United still a bit too fragile at this stage, uh, which we'll see how they develop in the coming weeks. Uh, Man City, no such problems. A 2-1 win at Sheffield United for them. Uh, pretty decent second... The, the, Joe, I don't know if you watched the, the, the game live, but on NBC they kept talking about how boring the first half was. And they made no <laughs> apologies for it, but how it sort of picked up in the second half. Um, and Sheffield United did make uh, City sweat a little bit at the end of the game. Uh, Erling Haaland missing a penalty uh, earlier on, but scoring, of course, in the second half, as did Rodri with a banger for the win. It feels like... At this point, penalty kicks might be Man City's only real weakness, or, or penalty kicks and Kevin De Bruyne's whatever his muscle, current muscle injury is. Like this, this team is still so dominant to the point where it does become boring. And Graham, you've you've banged this drum before with Pep Guardiola teams, and it is very true. The control that they want is suffocating, right? Like how much they want to have the ball means that at times games do slow to a snail's pace. The possession was 80-20 in this game. Like City were completely dominant. The game was played on their terms. Up until, you know, a little bit of that that nerviness at the end. But man, in my book, despite that, this was another dominant City win for a team that very much looks like the title favourites. I'm I'm in two survivor leagues and I picked Man City in both of them this week. So I was very glad that they pulled this one off. (laughs) Risky one. Never a doubt. Never a doubt. Uh, Bournemouth uh, nil Spurs to Graham. Spurs turning on the style in this one. Madison and Kuliszewski with the goals. Uh, James Madison's first goal for Spurs here. Spurs with seven points from their opening three games and Ange getting Robbie Williams songs and hilarious <laughs> interviews. It's all going lovely, isn't it? Yep, another important win for Big Ange FC, which is how I'm now referring to, to Tottenham Hotspur. I could also call them James Madison FC, though, because he has very quickly become the main man for Spurs since Hurricanes exit. He has started so well and Postcoglu is using him in, in, in more than one way as well so we all know that Madison is is, we spoke about this last week but he's very dangerous in the final third with all his dribbling and his his ball carrying ability and and his uh, goal threat as well but in this match he was dropped deeper into his own half at times to help handle the the Bournemouth high press and it, it worked very well 
Um, a, a generally an impressive performance by Spurs as, as as well. Another excellent game by Destiny Odoji as well at left back. The double pivot of Saar and, and Basuma continues to grow. Romero and Van de Veen are playing well together. Richarlison is still tripping over his own feet, own feet but uh, there is there's a lot for Spurs to be positive about right now. There is. I don't know if you guys saw the clip of James Madison going oh, to take good. the corner, which has been going yeah. viral. So he's getting abuse from the Bournemouth fans, uh, which we can't really repeat here. But he deliberately places the ball outside of the corner to uh, to take it and just sort of rolls it back and gives him a smile. And all the fans are like, yeah, fair play. That's that's pretty funny. You're you're a lad. We approve. We approve. That was good. Uh, Tyler Adams with a debut for Bournemouth in this one as well, but evidently not to any uh, meaningful effect for Bournemouth. Uh, Taylor's not here, so I'm going to say this on his behalf. Silence. All right, we can continue. That was just Taylor t- speaking through me. Very well, very well. Yep. Let's move on to Stamford Bridge. Uh, Chelsea with a 3-0 win over Luton. This was the other potential pick in the Survivor League, and this would have been a pretty valid one in the end. Uh, Graham, uh, Sterling with a brace here. Uh, Raheem Sterling with a brace, and Nicola Jackson with the... Uh, that, that'll be his debut goal, won't it, if I'm not mistaken? I think it is. His, it yep, his first, his first yep. goal for Chelsea in the Premier League, that's right. There we go. Uh, uh, Luton were at times causing problems for Chelsea, I think it's fair to say, Graham, but generally outclassed. Oh yeah, absolutely. Chelsea, well-deserved winners from this one. Obviously a step forward for them. Their, their, their first uh, win of, of, of the season. Still lacking a bit of coherence and, and, and fluidity. Raheem Sterling, though, is just in magnificent form right now. Two goals for him in this match. Just kind of looks like he can run through anyone at the moment. Mm. And, and speaking of running, um, just going back to Nicholas Jackson, he's, he's just given Chelsea a different dimension and he deserved a, a, a goal from this game. It's been a while since Chelsea have had a striker who can run in behind and get into those spaces. Lukaku was maybe meant to be that player and that obviously didn't didn't work out. So I'm enjoying watching Nicholas Jackson this season. Ben Chilwell, Chilwell very influential for Chelsea in, in this game. I've already mentioned him and his role he's playing this season for Chelsea, but he he was so attacking in this game. He was he was basically a a, a full-on winger rather than anything like a a, a fullback. Um, you can tell though by trade he's still a fullback when he gets into those goal-scoring positions. There's a moment in this game where he is clean through and goal, and instead of taking on the shot, which any uh, natural attacker would do, he he plays like a square pass and Luton just clear it. It was it was a bizarre bizarre moment. But as for Luton, um, I don't know, Ryan. I, there were moments in this game where they where they looked relatively comfortable but I think that was more of a game state sort of thing where Chelsea were two or three up at that point and I am pretty concerned about them at the, at the moment um, there's just a real lack of quality I don't know how they're going to score goals and when Rob, Rob Ed, Ed, Edwards excuse me has asked about the performance after the game and all he can come up with was it was brave uh, um, that doesn't sound too encouraging they haven't played at home yet right they haven't played at Kenilworth Road this season they do have a game they're on Friday night, so maybe the situation will change when, when they can get in front of their home fans, and that's quite an idiosyncratic ground, a little bit unusual. But right now, yeah, I think they're a good bet to go straight back down, unfortunately. I uh, I have nothing to add on that game. I do want to go back to Bournemouth briefly. Ryan, we were both wrong. I'm going to put the blame mostly on you. Uh, I didn't watch this game, and Tyler Adams didn't play, so it wasn't his fault what? that they lost to Tottenham. We are good to go, baby. Oh, <laughs> I didn't watch it either. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so really it's Graham's fault is what I'm hearing yeah. because Graham yeah. did watch it and Graham didn't tell us because he wanted us to look stupid. Yeah. I did I did watch this game, but uh, my eye was not drawn to anyone other than Big Ange and, and Big Ange uh, Ball. So, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim the same excuse there. Thank you for the corrections department there, Joseph Lowry. Uh, let's go to Brighton 1, West Ham 3. West Ham top of the league. Uh, Jared Bowen, Graham, that finish... And uh, um, the, the touch for the finish and the finish were absolutely unreal, weren't they? It was ridiculous. It's one of the best touches I've ever I've ever seen in a in a goal scoring moment. And <laughs> and he generally was electric in 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 this game. And West Ham very impressive too. I do think it's quite funny that every time West Ham want David Moyes to fail so they can finally sack him. He proves them wrong because he was very close to the sack at the end of last season. They then win the Europa Conference League. They come into this summer begrudgingly accepting Moyes as their manager. But I think there was a sense that West Ham were waiting for him to to slip up. And at the first opportunity, they, they would make that change. West Ham on Saturday night, they went to bed top of the Premier League. So it seems like they are on course for a, a pretty successful season. And their game plan in this match was very, very successful. They did such a good job of closing off space for Brighton and preventing them from finding any sort of attacking foothold. And then they hit them on the counter-attack like Japan did to Spain at the Women's World Cup. You can see it in the numbers. Brighton had 78% possession, West Ham 22%. Brighton had 26 shots, West Ham 12. Passes, it was 749 to 208 in Brighton's favour. But West Ham had six big chances to Brighton's two and scored three times. So it was a, a pretty impressive execution of a game plan. It was indeed. Uh, Burnley with a 3-1 home defeat to Aston Villa. The windscreen of Aston Villa's team bus was hit by a brick. Burnley's a lovely place, do recommend it. Um, the last home game also, uh, Rico Lewis of Man City got hit by a lighter. Uh, there was some fun though, Joe, I don't know if you saw, the, the mascots when they were led out on the field, they were wearing no. suits. They were wearing suits. It was very cute. Like little yeah. little suits. Everybody's in their little suit. Like little madmen. Like ma- like <laughs> mascot children wearing suits, or or like you mean like big foam mascots, like you know, like wearing a suit, <laughs> like Gunnarsaurus in a suit. The children holding hands with all the players walking out in suits, like they were tiny is, agents. Is is mascot a British term? Because I know that's what you guys call the the little kids that walk out. So I just ran it through my American to English translator, whatever it is, to respond to Ryan. But Graham, my first thought as well was like, <laughs> I don't know, Tony the Tiger, like just walking out on the field in a giant suit. That was my thought. I don't know if Americans say mascot. Maybe yeah, like Burnley and Aston Villa phoning up the tailors, being like, we did a, we did an XXXXXL suit for Tony the Tiger on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> Marvelous stuff. Um, Everton with a 1-0 loss at home to Wolves. Uh, Everton is still rubbish, is the main conclusion we can draw from that game. Why don't we take one more quick break and we come back we're going to talk about the Liga, the Bundesliga, Serie A, a bit of MLS and much more back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's go to Spain. Uh, Barcelona got a 4-3 win at Villarreal. They were 3-2 down in the 68th minute, Graham. Then Ferran Torres and Bobby Lewandowski found the net. Yeah. This one, uh, arguably the headlines taken by 16-year-old Lamine Yamal, who provided his first assist for Barcelona, created loads of chances. I think he hit the post a couple times too, or the woodwork at least. Yeah, he's a he's a really special talent. He was so good in this match. The, the creativity that he he shows around the box. He's involved in the equaliser for 3-3. Then it's his shot off the post that Lewandowski tucks away for 4-3. For, for and when a 16-year-old is given a standing ovation by an away crowd, as was the case here, you know that's a pretty special player. I thought this was the best match of the weekend anywhere in Europe. Um, 15 minutes in, it looked like Barcelona were, were cruising. But then, as you say, Ryan, it swings back to 3-2 to Villarreal and then back again as, as Ferran Torres and Lewandowski scored to make it 4-3. And Villarreal more than contributed to, to the spectacle. This Villarreal team is pretty different to the one that we saw under Unai Emery. It's now Kiki Setien in charge. He's much more proactive. He wants his team to get on the ball. And, and they held their own for the most part here. Alex Baena who scores a really lovely goal to put Villarreal through 3-2 up. He gave Sergio Roberto a horrible time in this game down, down the left side. Marcus Alonso didn't fare much better on, on the other side with nobody really uh, tracking Juan Foyth or, or, or Pedraza, who was very good in this game and did a lot of damage to the, to the Barcelona defence. Obviously a positive result for Barcelona, but it still feels like we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago. It still feels like there's a lot of moving parts. Things have still to settle. Maybe they get a couple more deals done before the end of the transfer window. This week, it feels like we will have to wait maybe a month or two to really see this this Barcelona team in, in, in full flight. All right. Well, it certainly seems like Real Madrid are in full flight at the moment, Graham. They're top of the league with three from three. Three wins from three, I should say. They got a 1-0 win over Celta at the weekend. Jubelium, once again, <laughs> four goals in three league games now. Can he be stopped? No, no, he can't. It's getting ridiculous now. So he's now equaled Eden Hazard's La Liga tally as a Real Madrid player in just three games. That's the real <laughs> accolade that he that he was going for. I think it's funny that the Spanish press are just so impressed with with Jude Bellingham because, of course, in the past British players haven't always come in for for good press from the from the Spanish media. Gareth Bale was obviously a very unpopular figure. Even even David Beckham, not terribly popular with the Spanish media. Michael Owen wasn't very popular either. And I think they're just shocked that there's an, there's an Englishman who not only is a world-class player, but just seems to be like a good dude. Like they're just enjoying having him in Madrid. He really is thriving as a leader for this Real Madrid uh, team. I didn't think this was generally a great display by Real Madrid. Celta did have a goal disallowed in the first five minutes. I don't think it should have been, so Kepa flaps at a corner in, in classic Kepa fashion. So Real Madrid are already missing Courtois a bit there. And and Rafa Benitez, he he did a good job of setting up Celta to stifle Real Madrid, and, and, and that became a bit easier when Vinicius Jr. comes off in the first half with a, with an injury. Hosselu comes on, and in that moment, I think Real Madrid's lack of depth is exposed a little bit. But similar to, to Barcelona, they get the three points on the road. You can't really grumble at that. But generally, not 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 a perfect performance. Maybe this is Patreon content, but Graham, you mentioned the lack of depth. It's something that I've been wondering about for Real Madrid. Vinicius Jr., a, a, a quick Google tells me that maybe he's going to be out for a month or so with this injury. And, and it's early in the season to the point where Real Madrid probably aren't too concerned 
Do you think they're going to make a move or are they are they pretty much done at this point in the window? So Ancelotti said after this game, there will be no more signings and this will be how the squad is until January. Okay, let's go to the Bundesliga now, shall we? Bayern Munich with a 3-1 win over their Bavarian rivals Augsburg, about 50 miles away from the Allianz Arena at Augsburg. Joe, a little... Uh, uh, facts for you in case you ever want to take your modded Honda over to Bavaria <laughs> a little tour. It's, it's, it's tempting. I spent part of my weekend, in addition to modding my Honda into Toyota, I spent part of my weekend watching <laughs> a bunch of soccer and also doing a puzzle of like a world map. And so that information maybe could have come in handy in, in this puzzle. A little German geography. It's actually, fun fact, it's the ocean that gets you in those puzzles. It's not the land masses. Uh, in general, to talk some actual soccer, I'm just doing the I'm just doing the Harry Kane counter at this point in the year. I talked about, I think, on last week's weekend review, easy for me to say, about how Harry Kane was going to do a Bobby Lewandowski and was going to be every bit as good as Lewandowski was pretty much at any point for Bayern Munich. He's on his way. Two more goals in this game. I believe he's got four combined goals and assists so far this season. He's just been stupid good. And in this match, it kind of feels like regardless of the, the players that Tuchel puts around him in the attack. In this one, it was Coman, Sané, and Gnabry. I, I, I think with Gnabry sort of popping up in central spaces, for the most part, Sané popping up there a little bit as well. All three of those players like to come inside and really try to overload those areas before bursting in behind. Byron had a ton of success with that. And Kane is the perfect facilitator and goal scorer to be the, not just the cherry on top, but he's like the ice cream too that makes this Bayern Munich team actually work. Yeah, he's, he's great. Bayern Munich are really, really good, better than they were basically at any point last year. Yeah, not sure how I feel about Bayern's home shirt this season being white. I mean, did they did they do that to make Kane feel at home? I'm not sure. Pre- is that is that the home shirt or are they just like wearing the away shirt for funsies? Is that for real? I think that's the home oh. shirt. So the away shirt is, is black with uh, kind of purple flashes. Yeah, that's the home shirt. It's, yeah. it's obviously there's red in it, but it's largely it's, white. So it feels like there there there's some Spurs cosplay going on there. And I'm not <laughs> sure pretending to be Spurs is a good way to be successful, but there no. we go. No, seems seems not. It, it's a good shirt. Like I like the shirt. It just maybe doesn't belong as a home shirt. Graham, does the shirt pass the smell test for you or or not so much? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's an it's a reasonably nice shirt. Okay. It's mm. just not a Bayern home shirt. They have it's a bit it, peculiar. In the past, they've had ones with like red and white, uh, white stripes, where the white is more predominant, yeah. but not quite as predominant as it is now. You're quite right there, Graham. Okay, um, Dortmund with a one-one draw against Bochum. The mini Rural Valley derby once again. If you're doing your road trip, Joe. Royal Valley tour for you there. Dortmund needed uh, a late equaliser from Daniel Merlin in this one. Union Berlin with a 4-1 win at Darmstadt. But Brendan Aronson was sent off in this one. Two yellows in 20 minutes. Checks if Brendan Aronson actually played in this game. <laughs> yep, he did. Excellent yeah, That one stuff. actually happened. <laughs> that one happened indeed. And Borussia Mönchengladbach with a 3-0 loss to Bayer Leverkusen. Now, Taylor Rockwell isn't on the show with us, but such is his love for Bayer Leverkusen that he has entered yeah. notes into our running order that. about... <laughs> yeah, it seems that they, Taylor can get uh, live Bundesliga matches at the top of El Capitan. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he, he seemingly caught this one. But I, I caught bits of it. I didn't watch it live. But Leverkusen have started very impressively. I can see why Taylor is, is excited about them. Florian Wirtz is, is fit again. He's picked off where he, he left off before that, that, that injury. Boniface gives him that striker who wants to get in behind and he's got a physicality too. Granit Xhaka slotted in well. Tan, uh, Ta, Jonathan Tah who scores in this game and Tap Soba are very impressive at, at the back and then you have the threat out wide from Frimpong and, and Alex Grimaldo. So if they can stay injury-free 
for the most part, I, th- I I think they could be a real threat this season. I certainly think they'll finish in the in the top four this season. Wonderful stuff. It is really hard to free solo on El Capitan while you're holding a phone watching <laughs> Bundesliga at the same time. So mo- once again, more props to Taylor there and those calves of steel. Let's go to Italy, uh, where Milan got a 4-1 win over Torino. Guess who got the opening goal, Joe? Guess who it was? It was Christian Pulisic. Woo! Christian Pulisic continues to be... Really, really, really sharp for AC Milan since joining them over the summer. This goal comes sort of after he crashes the box and stays patient, waiting for the play to develop around him. And one of the biggest strengths for Pulisic throughout his whole career, and especially in the latter stages of his time with Chelsea, now into Milan, is his ability to be that extra runner, right? To be that next force in the box, to read the play and then crash and finish the attack off with the ball in the back of the net. Pulisic basically does that in this moment. It was not at all like the first goal he scored last weekend, which was a banger from outside the box. But Pulisic stays sharp. There's more talent in this Milan team than there has been in recent memory. And and they have been my favorite team to watch so far in Syria. Although Inter are are always fun. They just haven't played yet this weekend. So they, they get dinged a little bit there. But they've been really, really fun. And Pulisic needs to continue to perform like he has because of Chukwueze and behind him in the depth chart and all the other quality that Milan brought in this summer but really about as good of a start to life in Milan for Pulisic as anybody could ask for. Indeed. Uh, Napoli having a good start to the season two, a 2 new win over Sassuolo this weekend. Lazio not so hot on the start. They lost uh, a home in Rome to Genoa 1-0. Newly promoted Genoa all the same there. Lazio now lost both the opening games. Only one point between the two Roman teams at the moment uh, this season. Yikes. Juventus with a point this weekend uh, with a 1-1 draw at home to Bologna. <laughs> Dusan Vlavic, Joe's favourite, getting the uh, late equaliser here. Uh, Graham, did you catch this one? I did, yes. The Juventus resurgence is over. It lasted a grand total of one game. This was much more like the Juventus team we all know and hate. Very lethargic, very one-dimensional. It's good to have them back. Um, Lewis Ferguson scored a very nice goal. Well, it's life-affirming, Ryan, because I was really questioning things last week, thinking that Max Allegri had had built some kind of free-flowing attacking team. But it seems not. So, uh, yeah, normal service has resumed. Lewis Ferguson scored a very nice goal for Bologna, so it was a moral victory for Scotland. I'm pleased about that one. Also, Timothy Weah was one of the better Juventus players on the pitch. So as long as all the players that we personally want to do well are doing well, that's all that matters. That's how modern soccer works. You're quite right, Indeed. Graham. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to MLS show. We've got an uh, in-depth MLS show coming on the feed on Tuesday, but we'll quickly go around the houses, Joe Lowry. Two new win for Inter Miami at the Red Bulls. Messi doing it again. It really felt like this was going to be the game where he and Inter Miami didn't do it. The lineup comes out from Tata Martino. Messi's not starting. Sergio Busquets isn't starting. They, they rotate for this after midweek game, after midweek game, after midweek game. And there's more coming up. Everybody plays again, I believe, in Major League Soccer on Wednesday. But maybe three teams. So tons and tons of games in this part of the season for MLS and Inter-Miami go out and they grab a lead in the first half through Diego Gomez. And then Messi comes on and ices the game with a highlight that I'm guessing everybody listening to this show has already seen. But it is an absolutely unbelievable sequence of play from Inter-Miami. Busquets, Alba, Messi all involved. And then it's Messi doing the dirty work to find that that ball really in just inside the top of the box to deal with a bunch of players around him to slip Benjamin Kramaski in behind in the right side of the box. He basically plays Kramaski into the run and then moves. Messi moves. And this is what I, I did a little Patreon video while Ryan's doing Golden Chewies because I lost the Golden Chewy. I did mine this past week on 
what makes Messi so special. And it is all the touches and the vision and the passing range. It's all that stuff. And we saw all of that on this goal. But it is also what he does the second the ball leaves his foot, which is move to find space in the right moments. He does that on this goal. None of the Red Bulls defenders go with him. And it basically is a tap-in off of the cutback from Kramaski. Miami are really, really good. Whether they'll make the playoffs, we don't know yet. But I thought they would struggle much more in this game than they actually did. Yeah, that, that, that moment, that pass from Messi is a classic Messi moment. I feel like that is going to be a defining, even though that's technically not the finish for the goal, obviously a goal comes from it, but that, that pass feels like a high, highlight real moment that will be right at the top of the list whenever he, his time in MLS comes to an end. I did find it quite funny, all those people in Inter-Miami shirts and Argentina shirts at uh, Daft Punk Stadium North, which is what I'm now calling uh, Red Bull Arena, not not knowing how to react to Diego Gomez scoring the first goal for a a Messi-less Inter-Miami. Obviously, they'd only really come to see one player and that player wasn't involved at that time. So I've never seen a stadium... What, how, how many people, Joe, does Red Bull Arena hold? Like 20, 25,000? 20, yeah, somewhere in that. I've range. never seen a sold-out crowd of 25,000 people make such little noise or like an uncomfortable murmur because they have no idea whether to celebrate that goal or not. Well, and, and what would be cool for the Red Bulls to get Grand to stop calling them Daft Punk Stadium North is if they went out and signed good players of their own and then maybe they would get fans that came in and cheered for their own team when it wasn't Miami coming to town. I think that could be worth trying for Red Bull Global, just like my two cents. Yeah, some solid advice for the New Jersey Red Bulls there, Joe. Thank you very much. Atlanta with a 4-0 win over Nashville, Joe. Getting it done in the South, huh? Yeah, Gary Smith and Nashville never lose by two goals or more. In this game, they lost by four goals or more. And in part, that's because of how incredible Thiago Almada was in this game. He grabs a goal and two assists. Atlanta, in general, look better than we've seen them look in quite some time in this particular match. I'm not sure that it's a coincidence that as reports are flying about Ajax's interest in Thiago Almada after they sold Kudus to... It was West Ham, right? Graham, it was West Ham that that Kudus goes to in the Premier League. After that domino falls, I'm not sure it's a surprise that Almada is suddenly showing out. I still think it's unlikely, and this is me reading the tea leaves, not me knowing anything. I think it's unlikely that Almada, as the best young player in Major League Soccer, one of the best attackers in the league does leave Atlanta in this transfer window, but it would not shock me if a deal is agreed to before the end of this window and then he moves after the MLS season is over in the January transfer window and maybe pops up over in the Netherlands for Ajax. Lots still up in the air for Atlanta and for Tiago Almada, certainly, but they were good in this game and Nashville have a tough match coming up on Wednesday against the team that just beat them in the League's Cup final in Inter-Miami. Oh boy. Uh, yeah, lots of cheeky midweekies at the moment, isn't there, Joe? Yes, well, we, yes. Um, I suppose when you have an entirely new competition sandwiched into your season you need to have lots of them to end up the season so it does yeah, feel that way demand it? on the players yep yeah. yep yeah. cheeky midweekies for everybody indeed who can say no uh ohio had some wonderful uh news over the weekend five unanswered goals for the two teams cincinnati staying top with a three nil win over mycfc and the crew getting a two nil win over toronto Yep, both of the Ohio teams are really good right now. Maybe the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, even though since you have that spot locked up at the top of the East and Columbus aren't there at the moment, both two teams are in are in really, really good form since you take Miami all the way to the wire in the U.S. Open Cup semifinal and then come in and just smash NYCFC. They weren't totally dominant through all the stretches of this game. Maybe, maybe a little fortunate with some finishes here, but the talent level is just so high. You know what you can expect at a basement, like you know what the floor is for the Cincinnati team, and they take care of business against NYCFC over the weekend. And then Columbus, 
I mean, Toronto are an absolute dumpster fire. They've been tragic ever since all the chaos went down with Bob Bradley. The Italian stars are still not thriving in any way. But Columbus, if folks out there are listening to this show and, and Messi has sort of prompted them to become more interested in Major League Soccer, go watch Miami, go watch Messi, because that's the best show in the league right now. But then if you have an extra 45 minutes or an hour or 90 minutes, if you want to watch a full game, go watch Columbus, because they are the most entertaining team to watch in all of Major League Soccer. The, the soccer that Wilfred Nance has them playing and has had them playing is so good. They got way stronger in the summer transfer window with Julian Gressel, Diego Rossi coming in. This was a really, really nice performance from them. The aesthetics are off the charts, and I can't recommend the experience of watching a crew game highly enough. Uh, how about the experience of watching Charlotte FC win 2-1 <laughs> over LAFC in a 40,000, not capacity, but... 30,000 less than capacity, Bank of America Stadium. Joe, uh, very impressive stuff from uh, Ashley Washford and Scott Arfield getting the goals that, there. Yeah, I was going to mm. say, Scott, Ar- Scott Arfield scores in this game, right? That, 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 yeah, that's a yeah. thing that happened. MLS, two- the, the MLS is honestly the weirdest league in the world, where <laughs> in one game you've got Lionel Messi lighting it up, and then Scott Arfield. Did I also see that Billy Sharp scored a penalty for the yeah, LA for the Galaxy. Galaxy? Yes, he did. What a weird league this is. What Graham said kind of works for this game as well, because Charlotte, it's a big win for them. They need points. Ryan, you and I talked about them in in not the kindest of ways, I think, on last week's show. It's a huge result for them. They were more clinical in the box in LAFC, even maybe with LAFC creating the slightly better chances in this match. Still a huge three points for Charlotte and credit to them. Yeah, it just staves off that into Miami leapfrog for another couple weeks there for Charlotte right. Bottoms of the East. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. Uh, the Any Other Business section contains Cristiano Ronaldo, who scored a hat-trick and Sadio Mane scored twice in uh, Al Nasser's first Saudi Pro League win of the season. They beat Alpha Tear 5 0. Is Alpha Tear Stephen Gerrard's team, Graham, or have I? No, he's uh, Al, Al Etifak, yeah, or however you say that. Okay, so it wasn't them that they beat, but a 5 0 win. Uh, Ronaldo and Mane with the goals there. PSG, who always find their way into any other business section, with a 3 0 win over Lom. Uh, Mbappe with two goals there. He back. And Marco Asensio with his first goal for the club, reminding me, and perhaps the listener, that he. Signed for PSG. Uh, And uh, (laughs) big news going back to Saudi Arabia, Graham. I don't know if you caught this one. Roberto Mancini announced as coach of the Saudi Arabian national football team a matter of days after he left the job in Italy. So from, uh, check this one out, Graham. Check this one out. From olive oil to crude oil. Huh? Huh? Oh, very good. Very good. Yeah. You're pleased with yourself for, with that one, aren't you? I was really that pleased. Was, yeah. That was yeah. good, Ryan. That was good. Well, yeah, yeah, almost like uh, Mancini had this this job lined up. That would explain the, the shock resignation as, as, as Italy manager. To be honest, I think everyone has ended up in this situation with something that they wanted because Luciano Spalletti, we haven't mentioned them on the, on the show yet, but Luciano Spalletti is the new Italy national uh, team manager. Yep. And so I think Italy are quite happy with that. It, it, things had kind of sur- soured with Mancini and obviously not qualifying for the World Cup. Mancini is going to earn a huge amount of money in Saudi Arabia and Saudi Arabia get a, a proven international level manager. So one of the, the rare instances where all parties are pretty happy. I suppose. So, Graham, obviously Italy hurt me in the Euros, but if Spalletti turns up with a duck on the sidelines, <laughs> uh, they'll win me this back. Is, yeah, this so. is the one thing that could uh, could win you over in Italy's favour, isn't it? Spalletti and his, and, and his duck and his, and his beaten up car, which I presume the Napoli Ultra still haven't returned to him. <laughs> Perhaps not. We shall see. Uh, but for now, we have Weekend Reviewed. Joe Lowry, a pleasure as always having you here, my good sir. Right back at you, Ryan. This was fun. It was indeed. I hope everything goes well with your car 
and whatnot. Graham Rutherford, a pleasure as always having you here too. Thank you, Ryan Billy. And I hope you feel better, Graham. Uh, I hope Big Ange Fever leaves you until the next time Spurs play. Oh, I, I hope Big Ange Fever never leaves me, to be honest. <laughs> I, I, if this is how I feel until the end of time, then so be it. Wonderful stuff. We'll work on the design of the Big Ange tattoo. But in the meantime, listener, thank you very much for joining us. Of course, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye!